This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 3, Second of His Name. My name is Adam Hemming and joining me today we have Sir Damien of House Cooper. Goodness me, that episode was a scorcher, wasn't it? And also joining me is Neil, the trouser slash sea snake Shepek. Well, I'm always here to hunt, but not here for endless politicking. Also joining us is the wonderful Grace, the handiest of hands, Chapman. Budget, budget, budget. Well, second of his name, obviously referring to Aegon and the fact that he's the younger child. But welcome back, Neil, first of all, before we get into that. I've heard that you've listened to one of our podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was a really weird experience, to be honest, because I don't often do that. But to listen to one that I'm not in and wanting to join in the conversation so often. So I have made some notes. <laughs> I just can't help myself. Before we go into that, can we just have a moment to enjoy the fact that our listenership has doubled? <laughs> <laughs> we love both of you. Thank you to both of you for, for tuning in. Including yourself in that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love myself. Yeah. Don't do that during the recording, please. It's okay. You can only see my face. Oh, good Lord. It has begun. Uh, so come on then, Neil. What did we get right, wrong? What did you think of our thoughts on the first two episodes of House of the Dragon? I'll keep it really brief because obviously you did already detailed and it's really lovely to listen to and hear what your thoughts were. Like the rest of you, I'm absolutely loving the performances. I also think it's a more progressive and enjoyable start Game of Thrones was. It took me a while to get into Game of Thrones. Once I was, I was hooked. For me at the moment, Matt Smith, I think, is amazing as Damon. You mentioned him being able to be sinister and Weasley, etc. But he's also very good at being charming and likeable. And that's why I think he's a really good villain, because that's clearly what he's being set up for now. I thought Rehenra? Rhaenyra? Rhaenyra. Yeah, I nearly wrote that down in my notes. We are nearer to try and help me with that, and I should have done. Anyway... I also agree she is a better Daenerys than Amelia Clark was. If that's well, certainly the where they're starting off that character. Very interesting where they take that. I do think that Paddy Constantine, I actually think he's really well cast, Damo. I get where you're at, but I think we're meant to see a weak thing. And I think he's doing that really well. Oh, I, I guess the other thing that I made notes about with the thing about prequel spin-offs can often be a lot better is that you get all that poetic justice that Grace was talking about where you, you know so much more because you've already seen what happens in the future. I'm really hooked so far. So Damien was wrong and Grace was right in summary <laughs> uh, for, for last week's podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's boring, but it happens so often. Let's talk about this one then. Yeah, second of his name, I mentioned at the top, obviously referring to Aegon. Aegon II, which is Viserys' now two-year-old son. Jump forward three years in time. What are your thoughts on this one? I just wanted to check, Adam, since you're probably the the font of all knowledge about this. Is this the Aegon of the Duncan Egg stories, I'm assuming? I'm pretty sure this is not Egg. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And the other thing I was just going to add to that is you can tell, as you said uh, in the last episode, that this wasn't necessarily written as a kind of a, a narrative story. It's almost like a journal of the history. And you can see in the way in which these time jumps are coming. I don't, I don't really want to skip ahead of that opening scene pre-titles that we get of Matt and the Stepstones, or should I say Damon. But it's a really nice way to kind of really just go, right, well, that stuff's Let's just get rid of a boring amount of time. Let's come to it further forward. And those tensions have ratcheted even more. The slights have become bigger. So when do you think that that pre-title sequence bit with him on the dragon, when do you think that happened? Was that before the two-year jump or after or during the two-year jump? I mean, it didn't really say. Obviously, we didn't realise that we were two years later until there was the name day for Aegon. Yeah, I think it is about two years later, just because we can see that the Crab King has got loads more victims that he's 
nailing to bits of wood. And then I think the talk back in King's Landing is that Damon is pushing the men too hard and they're starting to think about maybe... Well, I don't think they can really demob and go AWOL, but it looks like there's there's some real high-pressure chance of that happening. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, after the two-year gap, there's reference to it having the, the war having lasted three years. What I can't quite get my head around, at least at the beginning of the episode, was you got dragons against crabs. <laughs> like, really? That takes three years? You've got dragons. They've got crabs. Why is that taking three years? <laughs> it's not just crabs. <laughs> I don't know. May- maybe I'm looking into this too much, but you've got a, a superior, wealthier army raining down fire from the skies while insurgents hide in caves. I mean, I, I don't know. It feels like classic, as subtle as a brick to the forehead. Well, no, I think the hiding in the caves is the key part of that, isn't it? That that's how they're managing to avoid the dragon flames and they're literally scurrying in and out of caves and kind of unable to be tracked. So I think you've got there the, the main problem that, that they're having against the fight in the fight. It, well, now you've put it that way, Neil, I, I don't understand why it took so long. I mean, we'll obviously get to the end of the episode. But why didn't that happen three years ago? I think these time jumps are great, but also problematic for exactly this sort of reason. And we saw them last episode talking about this alliance to go and fight the crab feeder. And, you know, the Stepstones aren't that far away. They're just off Dawn. So a little bit further south than King's Adding. Although in terms of where Damon was at the beginning of that, there's some distance to travel. I'm not going to get too hung up on the strategy or the time timelines of these things. Just with like, you know, roast crab, yum. I think with the two-year thing, I, I, at first I was a bit like, okay, like you say, this is quite good for just getting over boring time, boring Game of Thrones time. But actually, if we think about it, I felt like we've been robbed a wedding, which uh, we all know are pretty epic in Game of Thrones. So I felt a bit cheated about that. And I felt like there was lots of questions that came up from that two-year jump, like, is Viserys still skin withering away? That just hasn't been addressed. So there's loads of questions that I have, and I haven't had them answered this episode, all of them. And so I'm a bit like, are we going to go back to that, or are we just moving on now? Just before I let anyone else jump in, we keep talking about a two-year time jump, and I just want to clarify, it's three years, because he's obviously had to wed and bed Alicent in order for her then to gestate Aegon for the nine required months, um, and he's now turning two. So it's a three-year time jump. I just want to say I don't understand why crabs are so deadly. I caught crabs in <laughs> Southwold when or Wolverswick when um, I was younger, and you just use a fishing net. Simple. <laughs> it's not the only time you caught crabs, Neil. <laughs> I'm somewhat reticent to respond after that. I think the other thing as well, of course, is narratively with that time jump it allows you to spend a lot of the rest of the episode having talking about how they couldn't talk to each other for so long but fortunately at this moment in time in the narrative they're going to finally talk to each other as you said in the podcast we've not had all the sex position that we had with game of thrones so it's quite not they've got to get it in somehow you know you've got to develop the characters you've got to get the narrative going etc. So at the moment I can forgive them. Let's get into some other bits of the episode then, because it's clear that Rhaenyra has been sulking for three years. But one of my favourite moments was the Rhaenyra and Alicent bard off. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they were both instructed yeah. bard to leave or go and it turns out that Alicent is the one in charge. Her queenness trumps the princess Rhaenyra despite the fact that she is to the throne. Rhaenyra, sorry. We kept saying Rhaenyris last time around. It's Rhaenyra. We are nearer to getting the pronunciation right. Um, and no, I, I also found that interesting. And at that point, I thought over this time jump, the fact that she's constantly being referred to as the princess rather than the heir, I thought that was quite significant. Although obviously, as we get further into the episode, her father is still very certain that she will be the heir. Yeah, it's the key topic, isn't it, in this show so far is is succession. And we had a bit more of this now that Viserys has a son, Aegon, 
certain people vying for him to name Aegon the heir. Certainly that's where Otto Hightower is plotting. It was really nice, I think, that conversation later on between Rhaenyra and Viserys, where he basically says, no, you know, stop sulking and, and being upset about this. You are my heir and I'm, I'm sticking with you. It was, a, it was a really lovely scene, but it sort of put that to bed in a way, I hope. But just quickly, the guy who played the bard uh, is someone called Johnny Weldon, who I highly recommend you check out his TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, or whatever. He does lots of absolutely hilarious videos about being an actor on set in R&Ds and all this sort of stuff. So if you're in the industry or, or maybe even if you're a civilian, you may find them very enjoyable. So that's Johnny Weldon. Definitely check his stuff out. She says that she refuses to marry. And Sir Christian, who's the only one who... I don't know, I think it's kind of being set up as a love interest. Or maybe we'll end up just being a really good mate. But obviously he's in the Kingsguard, so he can't marry. Just sorry, just before you come in, Damien, but it's Sir Crispin. Sir Crispin Cole. We'll never get anything done. <laughs> so can I just check something? Cole, and this, as once again, Adam, and come to you as the font of all knowledge in this world. Cole is a bastard surname like Snow is in the North. Is that correct? So is it that he has a man, a dad of position, but a mum who isn't? Is he out of wedlock? No, it's not a bastard name. It is a house. It's a minor house. So he's from sort of the Dornish area. But yeah, House Cole of Blackhaven. And they, they he, it was mentioned in that first episode, but they serve the house Dondarrion. Beric Dondarrion, he was one of their minor houses, basically. Yeah, Neil, I think like you, I, I'm getting a bit more of a friend vibe. At first, I thought that would be a bit more of a love interest, but I, they had many opportunities to get their flirt on in this episode and it didn't really go there. So I'm wondering if maybe this relationship might develop more. She might, He might become her sort of hand in a way as a kind of advisor. I mean, don't, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> Do not. <laughs> Well, the hand is always the closest to the royal throne, the crown jewels. Right. Okay. <laughs> but he might become her key advisor, should I put it that way? Is that, yeah, okay, everyone's happy. Oh, what's, what's the guy's name Game of Thrones? Oh, Daenerys' one, who... He was Sir Jonah Mormon, also known as... Mr. Friendzone. Uh, I'm sorry, he was Sir Jorah Mormon. The pronunciation of Friendzone was correct. <laughs> it's chaos Let, let's let's stick with Rhaenyra's suitors because it's very you know she's of of a marrying age and she had a lot of conversations about her needing to be wed for various different reasons uh, her possible husbands throughout this episode were Jason Lannister twin of Tyland Lannister who's also on the, the small council small council updates coming later there's also Aegon her two-year-old um, half-brother <laughs> Uh, there's Lainor, who's grown quite handsome over the last three years. Lainor Velaryon, who we saw riding a dragon at the end of the episode. I mean, he's got the skills and he's got the looks, right? And then there's Crispy Cole. I think you find it's Crispin, Adam. Not by the end of the series. <laughs> Hopefully. Once again, Adam, you as our resident maester of this world, what is the time difference here? Is I'm trying to work out the Lannister family tree, who is Tyrion's... Not Tyrion. Oh, kill me now. Uh, what's Charles Dance's character called? Tywin Lannister. Well, do, do you know Tywin? Is Tywin Jason? Jason's... We're, I mean, we're, we're 170 years, so... And, you know, you've got to think that generations are probably, like, shorter generations than we are used to. We could be four or five generations away from Tywin. Lannister at this point. I will see if I can do some digging and find out whether there's a Lannister family tree that, that connects Jason to Tywin. Yeah, I found Lord Jason Lannister quite lacklustre, to be honest. I mean, the low-key flex of Casterly Rock didn't really do it for me. And the, I mean, the, the moment where Otto Hightower presented Aegon, I honestly burst out laughing. <laughs> that was kind of a crazy moment. Again, just does remind us that the, that the incest is is a common thing in the Targaryens. So I think they keep well, dropping this in partly to shock us and partly to remind us that that is something that they do. I think for me, it's really got to be either L Lainor 
Well, probably just Lainor, right? You know, because Crispin Carl, we've already mentioned, is a member of the Kingsguard. So Lainor and Rhaenyra would be quite well matched in that they, they both seem to enjoy riding the dragon. Who doesn't, Adam? I wonder if the chap with the big boot might have an affair with the Queen. When you say the big boot, do you mean... And I'm sorry to use this word, but it's also to link it with the way that Tyrion was often called the cripple. Uh, I believe, yeah, that he had... He was... Uh, I can't think of what the correct terminology no, no, is right no, no. now. The right foot that was turned in and he used the stick. Do you mean him? Yeah. And he yeah. had quite a big boot on it as well. Yeah. I believe this was Laris. I think I'm getting that name right. Laris Hightower. I certainly think we're going to see him again in the future. I, I wonder whether there's almost going to be a Richard III type thing about him. It reminded me of some of the TV movies I've watched of... And TV series I've watched of that part of history. I posit this, guys, and as always, my flight of fancy, I'm happy to be proven an absolute Egypt. But this is what I say. The king will keep his daughter as the heir and uh, the wife will be upset. She'll have a second child. She'll feel that she's not being listened to and she'll end up having an affair with old Hightower. The queen is a Hightower. But, yeah. Well, that- it doesn't just have to be the Targaryens. <laughs> Grandmaster Hamwings from the future here, just with a quick correction. Laris the Clubfoot is obviously a strong and not a high tower. Apologies for getting that wrong, and it makes Damien's prediction slightly less idiotic. Anyway, back to the show. Should we talk about the hunt and King Viserys? You me? <laughs> King Viserys. You, you heard it right, Damo. <laughs> Has been um Yes, so he's drinking a lot, isn't he? And this hunt is taking place to celebrate Aegon's second birthday. He's quite tetchy about different things, stands up to Jason Lannister, read the succession and all of that sort of stuff. And then he has trouble killing, they're hunting this stag, they're hunting a white stag. Can't find it, so they find a different stag for him to kill. And basically, him going hunting is everybody else finding the beast, tying it to two ropes, holding it down for him to drive a spear through it. And he can't even do that very well. Yeah, I thought this was really symbolic in the sense that he has no real power because he didn't capture that stag. Everyone had to hold it down for him. He even had to be told where to put the spear. He didn't like doing what he was doing. I thought it was really symbolic of his reign. And also it wasn't the great white deer. You know, in the, in the end, it was his daughter who said, let it be, and it ran off. Maybe a, a portentous sign for Rhaenyra's running away. You mean Rhaenyra? That's, that's what I said. Sorry, maybe there's a problem with my internet. <laughs> I, mean, I thought Millie Alcock was superb in this episode and, and all of those scenes with, with Crispin Cole and that moment where she lets the white stag go and the scene, the big scene at the end with her and Viserys, I thought was really, really excellent. It's really good. And the stuff before the white stag, where her and Sir Crispy, you know, had to deal with the rodents of unusual size in the fire swamp. I thought that was great. I, I found that whole scene a bit boring. Mm. Sorry, couldn't resist that one. Uh, shall we move on to the small council updates? Uh, there was no sign of Lyman Beesbury, Bill Patterson, in this episode. I don't know whether he just doesn't enjoy hunts. Um, but maybe, you know, in that three-year period, he's moved on. But or maybe he's just filming the next series of Fleabag. There is not going to be another series of Fleabag, so he won't be doing that. But Tyland Lannister has joined. So there's a Lannister in the small council, which I thought was quite good. And Lionel Strong, he's turning out to be quite a good advisor. I think he's, like, steady, gives good advice. I'm quite enjoying Lionel Strong and hoping he has a bit more to do in future episodes. Yeah, I think at this point, Alicent, it's her who persuades Viserys, her husband, to support... The war, and I think it's a line, the crab feeder either thrives or is vanquished. I think what was also a really powerful line shortly after that, when he was trying to make those decisions, he was talking to his daughter and she said, it's of no consequence to what I think, as I'm often reminded. And that was clearly a big indication of kind of where her head's been at for the last kind of three years or so. Absolutely. I think Viserys has certain things that he's not going to be, his mind is not going to be turned on certain things. 
And I think it's it was clear in this episode that still the, the big love of his life was Emma, his, his wife, who's now deceased, and that that is still really, really important to him. So whilst he's making children with Alicent, and there's another one on the way, there's still a big part of that relationship that, that meant a, a large amount to him. But he does listen to Alicent, and she does give him some good advice in this moment to send aid to Damon and Corliss, who are losing the battle against the crab feeder. And we pick this up with Corliss's brother, Vaymond Valerian, sowing seeds of dissent, things aren't going well, and Damon lands with his dragon, Corexes. Just as that happens, and he's joining the strategy table, a message comes in that the king's sending aid. And talk about shooting the messenger. I was just going to say, with the way things have gone so far, uh, with mispronunciations and, and wrong names completely, I think maybe we should rename you Adam Corexes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it, I'll take it. I, 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 whilst we're talking about Corexes, it's stunning dragon, but really, really long neck. Right. And almost no front legs. Have I got that right. But just looks so what I really love about what they're doing with the dragons this season is that they all look so different. And just, you know, dragons do come in lots of different shapes and sizes. And Corexes is a really good example of that. So much so that I was convinced that in the final battle, which we're coming to now, that Lenor was riding a different dragon. Right. I got a little bit confused there because I couldn't work out who was riding the dragon. There was times where, well, right at the beginning, I just saw a dragon and I was like, wow, they're so much more intelligent than in Game of Thrones. Like, so much more strategic. Once I realised that Damon was on was riding it, I was thought, okay, okay, that makes a bit more sense. They're still getting direction in the way that Daenerys would give direction to dragons. At the end, in the final battle that we're getting to, Damon's on the ground, so who the hell is riding that dragon? And then eventually worked it out. Yeah, that's just reminded me of that, I think it was, yeah, the opening scene maybe, where the guy is saying, oh, they'll get you, and then he arrives, oh, you've come to save me, and then, boom, completely squashed by the dragons. I think that for that guy, it was a blessing, that squashing. Yeah, I think he was expecting to be burnt alive, wasn't he? Save me, save me, and then all of a sudden the foot comes down. I think they mentioned dragons plural earlier on when they're talking in a strategy meeting. And then I think that Lenor is riding a different dragon. There are multiple dragons around in this world, we know. But um, I was pretty convinced, given the shape and size of Corexes, that this was a different dragon that was being used in that moment. But yes, Damon goes nuts when the news comes from the king, doesn't shoot the messenger, but bashes him over the head repeatedly with his helmet. And then he rows out alone and plants this flag of surrender, just as they discussed in the strategy meeting, having someone, having a, a flesh puppet go out there um, to attract these crabs from out of their caves. Well, just as he's handing over his sword, he fakes out and, and starts taking on all of these people all by himself. What do we think of this? I mean, the, definitely the biggest action sequence we've had so far in this show. What do we think of all of this? It did suffer somewhat from big actor in an action scene movie. I mean, he managed to kill, what, 15 people? He got hit with an arrow. No, he managed to... Uh, these are professional archers firing directly at him. Somehow he didn't get hit. Like, they knocked off at least three times, so to speak, before he got even hit by a single arrow. I always find it a little bit hard to suspend my disbelief there. But other than that, I thought the actual choreography was brilliant. The whole idea of creating bait, he took that, but instead of someone surrendering themselves to bring the crabs out of their shelters... He brought them out in a very different way and had everything prepared. And it just showed what a strategian or how good he is a strategy. But he did it in a way that was so kind of heroic, depending on how you look at the situation. I think you'll find it's pronounced strategian. There we go. <laughs> Thank you, Correctus. 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 <laughs> I think what I learned from um, a lot from that, the final few moments with Damon is that, I mean, he would rather just put himself completely on the line than accept help from his brother. That was such a, a clear, clear character choice there that I think is so telling about him as a person and as a, as a key player 
in this story. I thought it was, uh, I'm like you, Damo, though. I was a bit like, mm, I think but a couple of them would have hit more. <laughs> Just one or two. I really enjoyed the sort of nervous looks to the sky as they're wondering whether or not this is a a ploy and whether there's a dragon about to appear from somewhere. So the tension building of the the sequence I thought was really great. And also the ending of it, of of him putting out the head, shoulder and one arm of the crab feeder after he with the blood sort of down his face. It was a really, really lovely imagery of, of that at the end of the episode. I just don't understand why suddenly... They all decided to run out. The time that he was most knackered, he's lying under a ship, he's filled with arrows. And at that point, that's when they all decide to run out en masse, when it's kind of over already. I wondered whether that was because they were scared of a dragon again. So the Crab King was just sending out small little parties so that it wouldn't like kind of lose the amount of troops that he had. And then once it was, it seemed like they had a wounded stag going back to um, early on in the episode, that that was the time to just send everyone out. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I picked up was that final shot of Damon was, uh, he very much suddenly had got the crab feeder's hairstyle. (laughs) What was that all about? (laughs) There was a lot of blood is the new white, isn't there? Uh, they both of two different Targaryens went had very bloody white hair by the end of their encounters. So, any other thoughts then on this episode? Anything else, Grace? Anything you want to share? Just one thing there's pugs in Westeros, guys. The whole spectrum of pets are available to you. <laughs> it makes me upset that no house has a pug as a sigil. <laughs> I would like to put a question that's in my head about, okay, so we talked about all the visual sequences and, you know, they they were fantastic. But what do you think the political, not that I'm here for politicness, but what do you think the political connotations are from or results are from this seeming success? Well, I think it raises their profile among the small folk if you like or lords ladies uh, you know those those perhaps undecided of Damon and Corlys you know their feats in battle will give them a little bit more weight I think it also gives some ammunition that Viserys sent people too late you know the late King Viserys will be uh, will be something that I think will be used against him doesn't necessarily Game of Thrones has always been very political even with all the gore and the nudity and the spectacles and the battles, you know, there's always been political um, working and, you know, king making and all that kind of stuff. It's also relied heavily on uh, historical acts. I wonder if Damon coming back with his army having vanquished a foe such as he has, whether there's almost a. Well, Caesarean, I guess, is the correct use of the word, probably. Uh, a Caesarean-esque of him bringing an army, not like the first episode Caesarean, I mean being Caesar-like rather than the process of giving birth, of bringing what's left of the gold cloaks and the, and the other private army who are now beholden to him back within the reach, if not the walls, of King's Landing and what that does to that power dynamic between him and his brother. What I'm looking forward to is a lot more scenes with Paddy and Matt Smith, you know, in the next few episodes where that we can really get into the meat of that relationship, especially, you know, with what we've just seen happen. I think it's going to be really great stuff. Should we leave that one there then? Um, but we're still very much enjoying it. Definitely a step up in terms of action and activity. Are we going to do the game or not? You want to do a sweepstake on, on this one? I, I just need the opportunity to share my screen to prove I'm not doing anything untoward. Okay. <laughs> Coming right up. Is it, Adam? It, what I do is it automatically stop. It's four different options. I suggest that we do our names alphabetically for one, two, three, and four. And that's the person who goes first. The fact this is wheeldecide.com, I think, is very apt. <laughs> We're going to break the wheel. What is this about? Here we go. Uh, listeners, Damien is spinning a wheel to determine who goes first. It's player three, which I make to be Grace alphabetically. Present. So, uh, Damien, <laughs> explain what you want Grace to do. The wheel seems to have muted, Damo. It seems to spin again. Damien, you're on mute. <laughs> Damien, we can't, can you hear us, Damien? 
Now it's on player two. So he spun it again to be Damien. So now it's Grace first, Damien second, right? Or do we start with Grace and then go alphabetically after that? Why don't we just go alphabetically? This is award-winning podcasting, guys, right here. (laughs) Damien, can you hear us? We don't even know what Grace is going first and what she's got to do. She's just predicting who's going to die next. No, we can't hear you, Damo. I can see your lips moving. I don't know why we can't hear him. I I can hear everyone else. Mm. Yeah, he's not muted. You're not muted, Damo. So strange. Okay, so we've spun a wheel and it caused Damien's audio to crash completely. So we've had to pause, wait for him to come back, and now we're back on it. But what we're going to do, Grace Grace was selected by the wheel. So rather than spin it anymore, Grace is going to go first, picking who she thinks will die in the next episode. And she's also going to nominate a killer and she will score points. I think we're going to say five points if that character dies and one point for every kill they make, human or animal. So, Grace, uh, are you ready? Do you know who your your killer and your death is going to be? Sure, I'll go for it. I think Corliss's brother, I felt like he was on tenterhooks in that battle. I don't know what his name is. His name is Vaymond Valarion. I think he's he's for the chop next one. Who's it going who's going to ki- who's going to kill him or kill anyone? Kill anyone, yeah. Dragon. <laughs> I'd just say dragon. I'm going to say particular Which dragon. dragon? Yeah, you can say Corexes or Syrax. Those are the only two named dragons we know of. Corexes. Okay, there we go. Well done, Grace. So, Neil, you're up next. As far as killer, I mean, it'd be stupid not to go to Damien. Well, Damien, Damon. <laughs> Damon. As far as dying, I'm stuck between two. I'm actually going to go for Viserys. Paddy Constantine. He's tricky, I think. I'm going to go with Crispin Cole as my killer. And I'm going to go for my death will be Prince Aegon. <gasps> Shocking. That's controversial. I'm going to go for, I mean, yeah, let's go for the other dragon. Syrax. Is the other dragon called Jeff? No, Syrax. Oh, Syrax. I always get those two names confused. And death. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to go for Krispy Kreme himself. Oh. Right, so we've locked in those predictions for the sweepstake. What I want to add on, now that they're all locked in, is that I had a look at the cast on Wikipedia, and this was something I wanted to bring up anyway, but I looked at it just to remind me of who the characters were and what their names were. But there is a young actor who I would say is about three to four years older than Jeffrey. Uh, sorry, Joffrey. The actor's called Tom Glyn Carney, and he plays Aegon Targaryen. And he looks about 18. Sorry, Adam, about your prediction. My wonder is, if they're going to have Aegon Targaryen, which I can only assume is the two-year-old kid in this episode, as a late teenager, how are they going to age Alicent and the daughter? Well, I mean, we do know that there is an older actor who plays Rhaenyra in in this season of ah, House of the Dragon. Sense. So I think they will all have older versions of themselves. I mean, I'm not worried about my prediction because was that Aegon the second or Aegon the third that you were referring to in that? It just says Aegon Sengarian. And we might have an 18-year time jump in the next episode. Who knows? Hope not. So, reg- so regardless, either of you might end up with egg on your face. <laughs> Can we please move on? <laughs> it's a good job you can't see lower than my face, Damon, because I love that. So the Emmy Awards, let's talk about them. Now, since we last recorded, some of the awards have been given, some of the the Creative Arts Awards, they call them. Um, And maybe we'll talk about that in a little while. Um, But we did make some predictions or some thoughts on the guest actors, and those awards have now been given. What I want to focus, first of all, is the Outstanding Limited or Anthology series. And we'll just talk briefly about these, and then uh, we'll talk about the comedy series as well. So the Outstanding Limited or Anthology series that have been nominated are Dope Sick, Inventing Anna, Pam and Tommy, The Dropout, and The White Lotus. And I think there's definitely been some wins for The White Lotus. And I think also for Dope Sick in the, in the Creative Arts Awards. Pam and Tommy also won an award for modern costume or modern makeup. Was that for the penis scene? Possibly, and the fake boobs as well. I mean, having Dope Sick and The White Lotus in the same category is very unfair. Can they both win? I mean, if you had to pick Grace? Oh, God. 
white um <laughs> white lotus i'll go the other way are you and i also picked dope sick i mean those are definitely the two standout ones i think in this category i think the dropout's a really good show um it's a little bit long um like most of those sort of true crime cons um they stretch out a bit too much similar with inventing anna but yeah pam and tommy we've talked about a long time ago but did you guys finish that show yeah, I did. I really liked it. I, I watched the whole thing. I thought it was great. The only reason why I would want Inventing Anna to win that is if Julia Garner then comes on and gives her speech in that accent. Comes on what? <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit disappointed by Pam and Tommy in the end, I think. I think it was as strong as a whole series, but I thought the other the other four were all really good. Let's move on to lead actor in a limited or anthology series. I'm sure we'll talk about some of these shows a little bit more as we do so. Uh, but Colin Firth in The Staircase, Andrew Garfield under the banner of heaven, Oscar Isaac in Scenes from a Marriage, Michael Keaton from Dope Sick, Himesh Patel in Station Eleven, and Sebastian Stan in Pam and Tommy. So quite a few shows not nominated for the best series involved in this. Colin Firth does a, a good job in The Staircase in a similar way to Amanda Seyfried in The Dropout by adopting the true persona of this guy and, and, and doing that in a convincing way. But I, I think I know who Damien's going to say. Yeah, 100%. Michael Keaton, easy. I think me and Damien would literally riot in the street if Michael Keaton didn't win this award. <laughs> I can completely agree. I haven't seen Under the Banner of Heaven or Scenes from a Marriage, and Sebastian Stan is very entertaining in Pam and Tommy. I also really, really loved Himesh Patel in Station Eleven. So I wouldn't be disappointed to see him get it. I've seen Under the Banner of Heaven and Andrew Garfield is good, but it's not the same league as Michael Keane. So outstanding lead actress. Uh, we've got Tony Collette in The Staircase, Julia Garner in Inventing Anna, Lily James in Pam and Tommy, Sarah Paulson in Impeachment American Crime Story, Margaret Qualley in Maid, and Amanda Seyfried in The Dropout. I mean, I haven't seen quite a few of these, so uh, I can only really speak to I, re- I can only really speak to Lily James and Pam and Tommy. But I, I don't think I've seen a transformation so perfectly done in a long time. It was Pamela Anderson and she gave Pamela Anderson real sensitivity and heart. And I really I really admired that performance a lot. And dignity as well. Yeah, I think whilst Pam and Tommy themselves might have not liked the show i would be quite surprised if pamela didn't like lily's portrayal of her Mm. Um, and and once again i'd say i'd be happy for julia garner to get this award if she comes up and accepts her award and speaks in the accent have you not seen made grace oh i have seen made yeah i liked made but I, i thought she was good is it margaret qualley yeah yeah, I thought she was good, but the fact that I didn't remember I'd seen Made maybe suggests that <laughs> not that memorable. Um, but yeah, I did like it. I thought she was good. I, I will say Amanda Seyfried in the dropout, again, similarly to Colin Firth, it's, it's just the portrayal of this particular character. and It's a really excellent study. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her picking up this award. Interesting stuff. Outstanding supporting actor in a limited or anthology series or movie. We've got a few from the White Lotus here. Murray Bartlett, Jake Lacey and Steve Zane. Uh, and then we've got three from Dope Sick, Will Poulter, Peter Sarsgaard and Michael Stuhlbarg. And then Seth Rogen from Pam and Tommy. I think this is a really, really tough one because there's some great stuff in there. But Murray Bartlett in the White Lotus. Come on. It has to be. I mean, this is an impossible category. All of them were brilliant. But Murray Bartlett is one of those performances that you just you you just can't get over how how brilliant he is. He's so good. I agree. I think he is brilliant. I wonder if I don't know, man, and not just because of the gun show, but Will Poulter. There's something about Will Poulter in that show that makes me feel like that's his breakout. I mean, obviously, he's been in films since he was a kid, Line Witch the Wardrobe, and did loads of great British TV. But that felt like some, that felt like a seminal moment in his career, dope sick. And I wonder if a win for that could really push him higher because he's a great actor. I think it's really interesting that like they, all those three actors in Dope Sick serve the story. They play their parts in that story really, really well. Whereas The White Lotus is much more of a character driven show. So they're much bigger characters and have more extreme things to do, certainly in the some of them 
their cases, uh, literally cases. So I think that it's, it's fascinating that those two shows are up against each other almost in that way. My question is, we've all watched Pam and Tommy, right? Does Seth Rogen really deserve to be in this category? Definitely not. Definitely not. He's the one that stands out for me. Sorry, Seth, but your dopey expression for me was just just not enough to get you this nomination. Let's look at outstanding supporting actresses. We've got Connie Britton in The White Lotus, Jennifer Coolidge in The White Lotus, Alexandra Daddario, Natasha Rothwell and Sydney Sweeney in The White Lotus. Uh, and then we've got Mayor Winningham and Caitlin Deaver from Dope Sick. And that's it. It's The White Lotus versus Dope Sick again in this one. Jennifer I mean, they're Britton. all fantastic in The White Lotus, but Caitlin Diva, my God, she's so good in Dope Sick and she was completely overlooked so far. She deserves, she deserves it, in my opinion. And I think Connie Britton, Jennifer Coolidge especially, the two of them were really good in The White Lotus. But I think it has to be Caitlin for me. I think it's between Jennifer Coolidge and Caitlin Diva in that one. Should we have a quick look at directing? I mean, that's similar shows are up there. So directing nominations, Dope Sick Made, Station Eleven, two nominations for The Dropout and one for White Lotus. I mean, I think Station Eleven is such a really, really beautiful show. I know none of the rest of you have seen it, but um, writing nods for Dope Sick, Impeachment American Crime Story, Made, Station Eleven, Dropout and The White Lotus again. So really, really very similar there. Have we got time to look at the comedy series? We've got Abbott Elementary, Barry, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Hacks, Only Murders in the Building, Ted Lasso, The Marvellous Mrs. Maisel, and What We Do in the Shadows. Now, I couldn't get access to Barry or Curb Your Enthusiasm, so I haven't watched any of those shows. And in fact, never watched Curb Your Enthusiasm. And also, I tried The Marvellous Mrs. Maisel, which has won an awful lot of Emmy Awards in the past, and I just could not get on with it at all. So I didn't watch that. But I have watched the others. So I'm a big fan of Curb. I think I've seen every episode. I actually think this is one of the weaker series. I think the last two series have been significantly less good than the others. I think this is probably Ted Lasso's, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, Ted Lasso probably, or Hacks, might be in with a shout. Hacks has won a few awards previously. I would give a big shout out for Abbott Elementary. I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, but I think it's really, really good. And Only Murders in the Building potentially could come into the reckoning as well. I think they're all four good comedies in different ways. Ted Lasso is probably the strongest. The lead actors nominated, Steve Martin and Martin Short in Only Murders in the Building, Jason Sudeikis and Ted Lasso, Donald Glover in Atlanta, Bill Hader in Barry and Nicholas Holt in The Great. I haven't seen The Great or Atlanta either, so it's a tough one here. Probably Jason Sudeikis, I would expect. And then lead actresses, Rachel Brosnahan in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Quinta Brunson in Abbott Elementary, who is fantastic and also was responsible for creating the show. Kaylee Cuoco in The Flight Attendant, please know. Elle Fanning in The Great, Issa Rae in Insecure, and Gene Smart in Hacks. I mean, Gene Smart, I think, won this last time round for Hacks. But I really very much hope this goes to Quinta Brunson because she's brilliant. I've got bits of The Great and... Elle Fanning is very good as Catherine. I don't know if it's quite up there enough to, to win the award. And then very quickly, supporting actors. Uh, again, we've got some from Barry, which we've not seen. Brett Goldstein, Tahib Jimmo, Nick Mohammed from Ted Lasso. Tyler James Williams in Abbott Elementary also does a good job. Henry Winkler, just amazing to see his face for Barry as well. And then a couple of others, but we loved Tahib Jimmo in Ted Lasso, right? 100. And then supporting actress. Again, there's a couple here for Abbott Elementary that I want to give a shout out to. Janelle James and Cheryl Lee Ralph are hilarious. They are scene stealers in, in most of the scenes they're in, in that show. Um, you've also got Hannah Einbinder in Hacks and then Juno Temple, Hannah Waddingham, Sarah Niles from Ted Lasso and a couple of others as well. I think Kate McKinnon probably won this last time around. I think that Kate McKinnon nod is, is great. I, I mean, Saturday Night Live slightly for me wasn't as funny as it has been, but I would watch a lot of it just for her. So yeah, I'm happy to see her there. Grand. So we can just announce a few wins in the guest actor category. Nathan Lane as Teddy Dimas in Only Murders in a Building. I think, again, that's the second year running that he's won that award. He's very, very good, as you would expect in that show. And then also guest actress Laurie Metcalf as Weed in Hacks. Mm. And she is 
very, very, very funny in Hacks as well. Jane Lynch in Only Murders in the Building is also superb. So it's a little bit sad that she didn't win that one. I can totally see why Laurie Metcalf has won that award. Whilst we're on the topic of guest actors, we should probably just quickly talk about the guest actor wins that have been announced this week in the drama series. So Coleman Domingo as Ali in Euphoria knocked all the succession boys and Tom Pelfrey in Ozark. But he's definitely deserving of this because I, I think Ali in Euphoria is a superb character and he does a brilliant job in it. And then the guest actress, this was a bit of a surprise for me, Ji Young in Squid Game. Uh, sorry, Lee Yu Mi, who plays Ji Young in Squid Game, won the guest actress award ahead of Martha Kelly from Euphoria. And again, a number of succession actresses. But congratulations to Lee Yumi for winning that nod. Maybe we'll see a few more Squid Game wins in the other categories. Thanks for indulging me with that. Um, should we do, we'll do some predictions for those, should we? I'll send that around by email and we'll pop it on the socials and see if, who, who gets the most uh, predictions right for those series. Demo. It will be Demo. I thought I'm always wrong. No, when it comes to predicting Emmys. Hey, I haven't played yet, so... That's very true. Game is on. Do we want to talk about anything else that we've been watching? I could quickly rattle through what I've been watching, because for once I've actually watched lots of TV. It doesn't happen that often anymore, but I was able to. I had some time off. So, obviously, finished watching All or Nothing Arsenal. It's what you expect is going to be, but enjoyable nonetheless. Just for uh, Mikel Arteta's team talks, which are very idiosyncratic. Uh, I... Watching this series of the latest series, sorry, of the Rap Game UK, uh, enjoying that. Raising Canaan is good. I've just found out that Archer is back, and I didn't realise there's been two series, all available on Netflix. This current new series is not yet available on Netflix in the UK, um, so I will go all the way through that, no doubt. And I recently finished Stuart Lee's new stand-up special on iPlayer Snowflake, which was very funny. And the final thing I've been watching is The Power of the Ring. You mean The Rings of Power? I mean, yeah. I, I think that's what they call it here in the UK, isn't it? Yeah. because You know, us super fans, we call it The Power of the Ring. So Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah. I've also watched the first two episodes, and we won't go into spoilers for this, because Neil and Grace haven't yet. But there are quite a few similarities to House of the Dragon, right? It's a prequel series... And we've got lots of really brilliant female characters. They are the most interesting characters in the show. And also, I feel like these first two episodes are really setting up some of the juiciest stuff that's going to come down the line. But yeah, I'm loving The Rings of Power. Are you? Yeah, I mean, there are moments where I'm a bit like, oh, come on. I mean, you can definitely tell that a billion dollars has been spent on the show. There's no doubt about that. There's a lot of money. Well, I hope your wing feels better, Damo. I need to borrow your topical cream you used for your crabs. It's, it, yeah, look. What are we going to do? It's two episodes in. It's all completely something new. There's some really good performances in there. And it's nice to see Lenny Henry doing his thing. Yeah, Lenny Henry is a half-foot, which is a slightly taller hobbit. The hobbits descended from half-foots. I'm really enjoying it. I think it's great. It feels like a Peter Jackson movie. So I think they've taken that world and created something stunning with it. And there's some really lovely action sequences and some great creatures and all sorts of other bits and pieces. So thumbs up from me. Anything else, Damo, that you want to cover? Have you started watching Marriage yet? No, not yet. I finished Marriage, and I will say there's a moment in the fourth episode. It's only four episodes. I talked about this last week, Neil. There's a moment in the fourth episode that is just incredible. It's really, really superb. So I enthused about this last week, and now I'm enthusing about it again because the fourth episode, I thought, was was brilliant. Give it a watch. Sean Bean, Nicola Walker, BBC iPlayer. Really, really well-made show. Well, uh, speaking of marriage, um, Adam, I had a, a, a weekend of shenanigans. And so on Sunday night, I just wanted to watch telly that didn't really matter. So I returned to my safe space, which is Maths UK uh, or BAFTA, BAFTA nominated Maths UK, I should say. The uninitiated married at first sight. Latest season, Damien, you're thrilled. I can see. For those who don't know, this is a, a reality TV show about people who meet each other and get married at the altar. They meet each other for the first time and they get married. It's awful. It's worse than I remember. It's 30 episodes long and I'm here for it. <laughs> a lot of people have said that today, Mo, Grace. Oh, wait, 30 episodes? How are they spinning this out? Your intrigue means I'll keep watching. I'll let you know, yeah? Oh, don't feel you have to do that on my behalf. What can we say about stuff like this? It's just, if you want something that 
you can just watch without really thinking and it's high entertainment value and low mental capacity value, then this is a show for you. <laughs> no, I don't think there is anything else to say about, about shows like that. You put it perfectly, Grace. Um, <laughs> I haven't really gone into much research about what's coming up soon, but I do know that this Friday, season five of Cobra Kai is coming to Netflix. I couldn't be more thrilled. I've mentioned them briefly every week for the last month, but Bad Sisters, still very good, still very funny on Apple TV. Five days at Memorial, dragging on a bit. Still a good watch. And just gripped by Happy Valley Season 2. I've got a couple more episodes of that to watch. Neil, I think you'd enjoy Big Boys. I always enjoy Big Boys, Adam. That was an open goal, Adam. That was an open goal. Don't make a joke about open goals now. (laughs) (laughs) It's a half-hour comedy, Neil. I think you really, really love it. Channel4.com or just Channel4. Right. Well, to be honest, after this weekend, I do want to. And I'm really excited about Andor and also the Obi-Wan behind-the-scenes documentary that's coming out late this month. There's a lot of stuff that I'm looking forward to. Let's move on to the social media and ways that people can contact us. So I'm going to ask each of you to tell us one way that people can contact us. Grace, how can people get in touch with us via... Twitter. You can find us at TVDNAPod. Damien, what do people do if they want to email us? They can get on their computers, open their email client, um, and then in in the place where you put where you want to send it to, uh, I suggest you put send it to TVDNAPod at gmail.com. And Neil, what about Instagram? How can people get in touch with us on Instagram? I don't know, but if you send a carrier pigeon to Greater Bumblefuck... Well, you've, you've mentioned Bumblefuck now. What's the latest? Um, I've not heard back since she asked for a lawyer. I recommended someone called Saul Goodman. Oh, you should have gone for Will Oakley. Trust experience, oh. trust Oakley. I think the probably... It's so complicated, the jury will find it hard to reach a decision, won't they? We'll be back next week when hopefully someone else will have watched The Power of the Rings, but we'll have all have watched episode four of House of the Dragon, featuring um, those Targaryens. Bye! Just before I say goodbye, I want to quickly say thank you to our listeners. We crossed a significant threshold in our number of listens. Uh, So thank you very much, everyone. We really appreciate your support. Feel free to leave a rating. Five out of five is always the best. Um, But we love you and bye. And also joining me is Neil the Trouser slash Sneeze. Blah, 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 blah. I've got to start that again. (laughs) Well, I'm never here to hunt. No, that's exactly the opposite of the quote. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Friends. Really. Did you get all that? Okay. What do you think, Grace? Because you're is right, more right than Damio. Damio? <laughs> and hoping he has a bit more to, to happen. A bit more to happen, a bit more to do, maybe. I have my hand up, but I'm definitely frozen. So maybe you just get my audio. But I'm going to say something now. Yeah? Cool. I would like to put forward a question which is on my head. On my head? Oh, hilarious. They are literal steam sealers steam sealers steam stealers um you can find us at tv day and